Welcome to the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals podcast. AICP serves the insurance compliance community by promoting relationships, exchanging information, and providing learning opportunities within a dynamic regulatory environment. You're listening to Compliance and Governance, Part 2, with your host, Dan Cotter. We are excited to welcome today's guests, Tim Brow and Jason Shoup. Tim Brow is a founding member of NB Law. He focuses his practice in the area of sophisticated corporate transactions. Mr. Brow frequently represents private companies, venture capital investors, and private equity funds in connection with mergers and acquisitions, private securities offerings, and general corporate matters. Mr. Brow's clients include manufacturing and industrial service companies, pharmaceutical and medical device businesses, telemedicine and high-tech telecommunications companies, real estate development firms, insurance entities, and emerging food and beverage industries. Jason Shoup is the founder and managing member of the Centers for Better Insurance. CBI is an independent, self-funded organization committed to optimizing the value the insurance industry delivers to all stakeholders, including policyholders, employees, shareholders, and society at large. CBI does so by making available unbiased analysis and insights about key regulatory issues facing the industry. Prior to founding CBI, Jason served for over two decades in various legal and regulatory roles, including Group Compliance Officer with a Switzerland-based multinational insurance group. He is the author of The Terrorism Risk Insurance Act, Policy, Processes, and Controls. Good afternoon. Welcome to Compliance and Governance Part 2, one of the continuing podcasts done by the Association of Insurance Compliance Professionals. Today's topic relates to compliance and governance. All companies must have a set of internal policies pursuant to which a company is controlled and directed, delegating certain functions to each of the stakeholders, such as board of directors, shareholders, and others. For insurance companies, there are additional layers to take into account. A governance program must include a wide variety of policies, including conflicts and ethics, insider trading policies of a public company, Sarbanes-Oxley compliance, and holding company reporting obligations. Today's podcast is going to discuss some of the governance considerations in general and for insurance companies, and I'm pleased uh, to be joined today by Tim Brow and Jason Shoup, and uh, my name is Dan Cotter. I'm going to turn it over to Tim and Jason to introduce themselves briefly, and then we'll get going with the substance of the program. Hi, everyone. It's uh, Tim Brow here. I am a corporate attorney. I have uh, my own boutique law firm um, where I specialize in mergers and acquisitions and corporate governance matters. Um, I've been practicing for about 25 years and uh, I've worked at uh, some of the largest law firms in the world doing the, the same thing. And I'm just, I'm really excited to, to be here um, and to, to talk with you about uh, some of our uh, corporate governance uh, issues that come up and uh, kind of give you a background on on what what it is, what they do, how why it's important. And uh, I want to really thank the Association of uh, Insurance Compliance Professionals for putting together this series. And uh, I'm excited to, along with Jason, to kind of walk you through where we are. So look forward to the conversation. All right. Well, thank you, Tim. This is Jason Shoup. And uh, by way of background, I've worked in the insurance industry for more than 25 years in different legal and regulatory roles, including uh, as the group compliance officer for Zurich Insurance Group at the uh, global headquarters in Switzerland. 
I launched the Centers for Better Insurance earlier this year as a independent, non-aligned think tank with the intention of giving back by writing and speaking about key insurance regulatory issues. I'm very pleased to have this opportunity today to talk about corporate governance within insurance companies. Thank you, Jason and Tim. And uh, Tim, I know you're going to lead it off with the concept of corporate governance and tell us some about kind of the overall framework. So if you want to take it away and, and give us some insight and Jason, if you know you want to chime in as appropriate, we'd love to hear. Certainly. Uh, you know, when, I, when you start looking at corporate governance, you're really trying to figure out exactly how a, a company is, is to be managed. I like to, to kind of equate it to things that uh, we all kind of learned growing up and, and in school. And if you look at what, you know, your, go back to your American history or American government classes in high school, you learned a lot about uh, the Constitution and voters electing the president and representatives in Congress. And, you know, the president has certain responsibilities and the representatives in Congress provide a little bit of a checks and balances to government. And that's very similar to what you have when you look at a corporation. Corporation is made up, you know, the the owners of a corporation are the shareholders. The the shareholders have an interest in in the corporation. Usually it's financial. They, They own stock they hope that their their stock appreciates in value but the owners don't actually take the day-to-day management of the company there needs to be a a mechanism in which the owners of the company have some say in how the company is run and and that's how our corporate structures are set up so the owners are, are the stockholders the stockholders have an election every year where they vote for members of the board of directors of the company. The board of directors are the representatives of the stockholders. And so uh, every year the stockholders go in, they vote, they, they put people in charge of the corporation to make sure that the stockholders' interests are being taken care of. And so then you've got the, the board of directors and the board of directors can be, you know, anywhere from in a very small company, you may have three board of directors in a, in a big public company, you may have, you know, 15 board of directors and, and, and they come from different backgrounds. And uh, what the board of directors does is uh, help provide overall guidance for the company. They don't run the day to day company, but what they do is they come in and they appoint somebody to run that. That person's usually the president or the CEO. They, they might also appoint a, a chief financial officer. They appoint people that will run the company and will report to the board and be responsible uh, for, to the board for, for their actions. And so that, that is the, the primary uh, objective of, of the board of directors. They provide overall kind of overall strategy, and then the day-to-day tactical uh, aspects of the company are put to the president, to the CEO, and the, the members of the senior executive team. So one of the things that, uh, that, that boards need to do is, is they need to, to make sure that the objectives of the company are moving forward. In, in an insurance situation, they may be 
concerned about the amount of, uh, of risk that the company is taking on the policies. They may be concerned about what their reserves are for that risk, the amount of money that uh, the company has. Uh, but the board seems to meet usually uh, monthly, sometimes quarterly, to get updates from, from the executive team on how the company is going. Uh, each board member has a fiduciary duty, which means you know, they have to act in the best interest of uh, the company. They don't act in their own best interests. Uh, they act in the best interest of the company. And so once the board sets the, the general goals and, and makes sure that uh, the executive team is in place, they spend their time getting updates from the executive team on what is happening, how the company is going, problems that they may be seeing. And so um, you know, a couple of the, the, the real key things that they need to take care of is they have to do what's called an internal audit. They have to make sure that the, the processes that are put in place in the company are being followed. They have to make sure that there are no concerns that may uh, affect the, the stockholders because, again, they're the representative of the stockholders. They, they have to make sure that, that the company is complying with the law. There are um, not just the, the typical corporate law things that need to be done, but there are regulatory matters in every state where they're offering insurance that the company has to be in compliance with. There's also a, uh, a need to, to make sure that uh, diversity and inclusion as a policy is being implemented appropriately by the company. You have to understand risk management. Um, and, and so that's the kind of the, the, the broad overview of, of how a, a corporate governance systems works. You have the stockholders who are the owners. You have the board of directors who are elected by the stockholders to uh, provide some oversight to the company. And then you have the executives of the company who report to the board of directors and do what uh, the board of directors directs them to do in order to move forward uh, with the, the, uh, the policies and the goals of the company. So I'm gonna pass that along to, to Jason to talk a little bit more about how this all works in an insurance setting. So, so thank you very much, Tim. So let, let's step back for a second and think about uh, the role of the board. So you've talked about the owners and the shareholders. They appoint a board of directors. The board of directors appoints management. And then management, of course, runs the uh, organization day to day. Among other jobs that I have right now, I actually sit on the board of a, an insurance company. And so um, I'm, I'm able to look at that role close up. And I would say there are really three things that, uh, not just within insurance companies, but generally the boards of directors are being asked to do now, which really stretches their capability, stretches their, um, brings them into to new and challenging areas. Remembering board directors are not full-time associated with that um, with that organization. Just like I introduced myself, I uh, run a think tank. I, I spend my time working with academic and other organizations. Um, and on a very much part-time basis, I serve on a board of directors. So the board is increasingly expected to set 
measure and oversee the corporate culture in the organization, whether it's an insurance company or otherwise. If we go back and look at some of the accounting scandals, compliance scandals, and other issues over the last 20 years, many of them have been traced back to a deficient corporate culture. Think about corporate culture as different descriptions of it. Some people say culture is kind of what you do when nobody else is watching. And that's, that's a good enough description as, as I suppose uh, there is. It's really how, what is the ethics? What, what, is the, um, uh, what are the principles and values within a corporation that it expects of itself and that it expects of its, its employees and executives? So the board is responsible to set that expectation, to set those values, to monitor them, to make sure that the organization is actually actually living up to those expectations, and somehow to measure them. Um, so very different from the historical role of a board, which was to really keep an eye on the financial aspects of the organization for the benefit of the shareholders. The second area that we see evolving generally with respect to boards of directors is the setting of the purpose of the organization. So Tim mentioned before that uh, the board is representing the shareholders and the shareholders are primarily concerned that their investment continues to appreciate, whether that's an increase in the value of the stock or uh, continuation or increase in the dividends that, that the stock pays out. The purpose of the organization, that, that purpose, that focus on the benefit to the shareholders or to the owners of an organization has really been the touchstone of the purpose of the organization for many years. Over the last several years, uh, particularly over the last two years, we've seen a bit of a shift where corporations perhaps are expected to be run for the benefit of a larger group of stakeholders, such as the employees of the business, the customers of the business, society at large, as well as for the benefit of shareholders. And the board needs to lead the organization through that determination. What is the purpose of the corporation? How do we articulate that? And most importantly, how do we live up to the purpose of the corporation? The third area that I'll quickly highlight is the emerging technologies and, and innovations that corporations are bringing into their organizations with the expectation of creating value, value for the shareholder, value for the customer and for the employee, but which introduce enormous new risks in terms of governance and oversight. So think about something like artificial intelligence, where decision-making to some extent is being moved from a human being to a machine, and a machine which makes its decisions based on an enormous amount of data. Ultimately, who's accountable if that machine begins to make decisions that are not in line with the corporate culture of the organization, that are not in line with the purpose of the corporation. 
That's extremely difficult, particularly, again, thinking that the board of directors are part-time employees, part-time part-time dedicated to the organization, come from a variety of different backgrounds and perspectives, yet are expected to be able to understand and oversee some of the the most sophisticated and technically challenging uh, dynamics within the organization. Jason, I mean, you make some really great points, and and uh, I hope uh, our listeners understand that uh, you know being being a member of board of directors doesn't just mean uh, going in and getting a lunch every every month. Um, it's a it's a really difficult and and arduous responsibility. And, and you, you touched upon the the culture of of the organization, and, and what we're seeing is in you know. The, the board of directors is more and more trying to set that culture by how they act. And so, um, you know, the, the companies want to be seen as, as being, um, you know, uh, performing or, or uh, running in an ethical manner. And so what the, the board of directors does is it sets uh, some parameters on how a board can act and how and how they must act so that they are acting at the highest ethical standards so that the the members of the company the employees of the companies see that oh even the board is is acting in a really ethical manner following rules doing things that uh, uh, that are above board and, and then hopefully the employees will also see that and will act that way as well when a board comes together or when, when someone is elected to the board, the companies have established, or it's really the board, the board of directors for the companies have established lots of um, things to make sure that the conflict of interest that may arise for a board member and for an employee is discussed. And there are ways that uh, we can avoid having situations where uh, somebody isn't acting appropriately or acting uh, not in the best interest of the company. So things like uh, related party transaction policy will be put into place that says, you know, if, if a board member uh, has another company and he wants to get the, the, the company that he sits on the board of to, uh, to buy a product from him, he needs to disclose all of that information. He cannot be part of the decision-making process of the board. Or some boards say, you know what, you just can't do it. Many companies have run into trouble where the members of the board of directors are doing things that are in their own self-interest as opposed to in the interest of the company. And so as, you know, over the last probably 20 years, there has been a real push to make sure that the companies and the members of the board of directors are putting procedures in place to really take care of that. One of them, as I said, was the related party. The, another one is anti-nepotism policies. Um, and and that, uh, that takes place both within the company and within the board. Uh, so, you know, if, if you uh, want to get a job at a, at a company, you're looking for your first job, and, you know, a lot of times you look 
to uh, other people who are involved in the industry that you want to join. And maybe one of them is a family member. You, you call up the family member and said, I would love to be part of your company. Um, I, I need a job. I just graduated from college. Can you get me an interview or can you hire me? Uh, you know, as the case may be. Companies that act ethically will have policies in place that say, it's fine for an employee to uh, to recommend somebody who they know or who's a family member for a position, but that person can't be involved in, in the decision-making process. I can't get a job for uh, uh, my uh, cousin just because I want him to get a job or her to get a job. Uh, it has to go through procedures to make sure that the company is evaluating all possible employees and they're making their decisions based on what's best for the company, not on who you know or, or not on some of the other parameters that are out there. And uh, companies, uh, there, there's a, you guys may remember um, back in uh, the early 2000s, there was this company called Enron. Uh, it was a, a company that traded in oil and gas and, and they, they were doing really great. Um, they, they were making a lot of money. They were uh, expanding quickly, but all of a sudden everything crashed. And as you started to peel back the onion on why this happened, it turns out that, that there were a lot of insider deals and, and there was a lot of smoke and mirrors, not factual things that were going out. And, and people were upset. Lots of people lost jobs. Lots of people lost money that had invested in them. And uh, the United States Congress got together and, and passed a very restrictive law called the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, which made it so companies can't act independently. There are things that need to be done in order to provide some oversight so that the public knows what is happening. There's uh, outside auditors that are needed to come in to look to make sure that uh, the, the books and records of the company are, are good, that uh, there's no conflicts of interest, that the, uh, the board of directors is overseeing the financial performance of the company and, and is asking the tough questions on whether or not the financials that are being given by the executives are in actuality truthful. Or are they just making up numbers, which was what happened in, in Enron? And so there's this federal law that is now kind of over top of everything that, that is really pushing the board of directors to ask those tough questions and, and to kind of dig in and, and to challenge the executives to make sure that they are doing everything in their power to kind of oversee the company and, and that the company is, is acting in an ethical manner. Um, boards of directors often uh, have board committees and, and the board committees are, are such like there's an audit committee that just they're made up of members of the board that look at the internal audits being done about the company. There's a financial committee that uh, will look at the financials of the company. That's their, their main job. They ask the tough questions of the executives to make sure that they're satisfied. And so, you know, as we, we've looked at kind of the evolution of things, the board of directors is really responsible for making sure that they ask those tough questions and that they don't just listen to the management team to kind of rubber stamp 
what they're doing. And so those are some of the issues that are really taking place right now amongst the boards and the companies and of that whole interaction between the executive, the board, and and the stockholders. That's great, Tim. Tim, what you've talked about there, it's, it's, it's even more so true within the insurance industry. So your Enron example uh, and, the, and the purpose of Sarbanes-Oxley is excellent. It's about protecting, in those cases, thinking about protecting the shareholders, thinking about protecting the bondholders, people that have invested their money in the organization. In insurance, we have a whole other class of people that are invested in the organization. And those are the policyholders and claimants. When you think about what insurance sells, it sells a promise. When you buy an insurance policy, you give your money to the insurance company today in the belief that if you have a loss, an accident, or you get sued, that the insurance company will be there for you in the next year, the next five years, whenever you call upon them. I, when I started off when, with an insurance, I started off in, in uh, the environmental claims organization. And environmental claims, uh, many times you have to reach back uh, years because the contamination may have started uh, years prior to the claim. The oldest policy that I worked on was issued in 1935. And that insurance company was still there 50 years later, 60 years later, was still there and honoring its claim. And that's remarkable, right? What other organization, what other industry do you hand your money in today and can turn around to them with confidence 60 years later and say, I have a claim, I need you to honor your promise. So we have a special need in the insurance industry to ensure that good governance is in place so that that organization is there to fulfill its promises in the years ahead. So as a result, insurance companies are heavily, heavily regulated beyond Sarbanes-Oxley. So three areas that um, I'll, I'll point to in terms of the regulation and therefore the focus of the board and the focus of uh, executive management as part of the governance function. One is solvency regulation. So when you hear about solvency, that means that the money is actually there and expected to be there to fulfill the future promises to pay claims when those claims are due. So solvency regulation, beyond just making sure that the accounting is correct, solvency regulation gets into, does that insurance organization actually have enough money in place to honor its obligations into the future? Solvency is an enormous focus of any board, any executive, well beyond just the CFO. The second area of regulation is around conduct. So you can think about uh, an insurance company, perhaps they have plenty of money uh, in the bank to pay claims, but they decide not to. They're gonna slow walk the claims, they'll deny claims, right? Because you've already paid your money to the insurance company. They may have plenty in the bank to honor your claim, but what says they're actually gonna do that, right? So in order to have confidence that the insurance industry will actually not only have its money, but will honor 
the, the terms of the contract, there's significant regulation around conduct and claims handling. The third area where there is a lot of regulation and therefore considerable focus by executives and board uh, through governance is around sales and marketing. So again, the insurance industry is selling a promise. When you buy a car, you actually get the car, right? You can drive it around, uh, you can figure out whether it, 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 it works well, whether it makes weird noises, and if you don't like it, you can bring it back, right? You can, or at least you can test drive it before you decide to buy it. It doesn't really work that way with insurance. What you get when you buy an insurance policy is paper. Well, anymore, you just get digital paper. And hopefully you never have to look at it again. Um, you'll only ever pull it back out if you think you have a loss that might be covered. So the sales and marketing, what you're told, how you're brought into that relationship with the insurer is a significant area of regulation and therefore of governance within the organization. Well, thank you, Jason, and very good. And you both gave the audience a lot of information and, and a good, great overview. As uh, listeners can tell from uh, both the comments of Tim and Jason, they both are well-schooled in, in, in this governance arena. And, and just in conclusion, you know, a couple of high points, I think, that uh, Jason and Tim have both really emphasized today. First is that corporate governance is essential to the success of any organization, whether private, publicly traded, or structured as a mutual or reciprocal for that matter. Uh, secondly, at its core, corporate governance is how the owners entrust and empower the board to set the strategy for and oversee the organization, who can then entrust and empower executive management to run the organization and execute on that strategy. As Tim and Jason mentioned, board members are not full-time, uh, but they have more and more increasingly a whole host of uh, technological and just business and governance issues that they have to deal with on a regular basis. And third and finally, insurance corporate governance has to do all of that, plus take special care that the promises made today to policyholders, uh, as Jason mentioned, can and will be fulfilled years or even decades into the future. Uh, with that, I want to thank Tim Brow and Jason Shoup for uh, this excellent podcast and hopefully those listeners can learn something from uh, the expertise of these two industry and corporate stalwarts with that thank you tim and jason uh, it was much fun doing this well thanks for the opportunity thank you